You hit that guy. You shouldn't have been standing. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Well, I lost him, but I don't think he'll be very keen. Uh, he's already got one, you see? Uh, hey, welcome back once again to, uh, I, I, this could be argued the second or third now uh, episode of Gag Reel. Yes, indeedy. Uh, I'm Ryan. We're back. I'm Will. And uh, today we are getting uh, getting a little different, you know, in, in the uh, past few ones were pretty well-liked um, comedy films, uh, but uh, getting a little weird this time, and we are doing the 1999 kind of flop, uh, Mystery Men. Mystery Men, indeed. The, the, the film that is loosely based on a comic book series about a, a character called the Flaming Carrot that is never mentioned in the movie. <laughs> um, we, we decided Mystery Men because we were doing Mystery Team originally and we didn't know if we'd be able to talk about Mystery Team for a full 40 minutes or so. So we figured we'd do a double feature. Their, their names sound similar. I don't know. This is my yeah. weird brain came up with this idea. I thought it'd be Double funny. Double feature, in name only. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, obviously, as you can see, they each became their own episode because for some reason uh, we really had a lot to say about both of these movies. Yep. And uh, just getting behind the curtain here, being kind of transparent, we, we are recording this intro uh, a good while after we actually recorded the episode. So you guys are going to take a, a little... Uh, little time trip with us we're, we're going in the in the time machine in the uh in the delorean yeah. in, in the whatever there's been a lot of time machines but yeah we got to go back in time because we were bad at intros oh yeah we're getting better uh write into uh gag at gmail.com or uh or reach out to our our twitter uh if you want to gripe at us about how we can improve the show we're, we're trying our best here okay or, or you can follow us at uh, facebook.com slash gagrealpod as well. There you go. There you go. Um, but I guess that, that's all I got to say. Uh, well, you got anything else, Will, before we kick off our discussion of uh, Mystery Men? No, nah, let's, uh, let's, let's do this. All right. In a place called Champion City, the forces of good and evil. Captain Amazing. What a surprise. Are about to collide. Well, we've always been each other's greatest nemesis. 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 <laughs> now, with the city's one true hero missing. Captain Amazing is in danger. Kaboom. Who will step forward? You again. Wannabes. To answer the call of justice. Don't mess with the volcano, my man. Because I will go Pompeii on your... All right, and today we're going to be breaking down 1999 comedy film Mystery Men. Now, according to a synopsis on IMDb, uh, in order to generate more endorsement revenue, Champion City's resident superhero, Captain Amazing, arranges for the release of supervillain Casanova Frankenstein, only to be captured by him. 
The city's fate rests in the hands of seven loser superhero wannabes. The spoon-flinging Blue Raja, the shovel-wielding Shoveler, the possessed bowling ball-hurling Bowler, the flatulent Spleen, the only when nobody's looking invisible boy, the mysterious Sphinx, and the perpetually angry Mr. Furious. Yeah, I guess that gets to the point. Yeah. And uh, so this film was directed by Kinka Usher. It was his first and last film he ever directed. Before that and afterwards, he directed uh, mostly commercials. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a a shame for his career that like, because we'll get into like, you know, our impressions of this movie and how it stood up to time and how it kind of was received in the moment. But um. I don't know if it's bad enough to completely ruin someone's potential career. Uh. Yeah, um, that was actually an interesting thing I kept trying to find online. There was a bunch of different sources that all had different explanations for why the director never made another movie. Mm -hmm. Like he said in one interview that it was just uh, too big a production and he preferred smaller things. And that's the one that... Uh, we'll get into it a little more in a little while, but uh, that's the one that really, uh, I, uh, I I think is probably the most true. Okay. I mean, that would make sense. There are other people that like, you know, claim that it was because of the big cast. He couldn't handle that many actors. And I, uh, based on some other things, like I said, we'll get into, uh, I don't know how accurate that is, but uh, anyways, moving on for now, um, the screenplay was written by Neil Cuthbert. Uh, he has two other major motion picture credits. He wrote Hocus Pocus, starring Bette Midler, and The Adventures of Pluto Nash, winner of five Razzies, starring Eddie Murphy. thought he had a few other kind of big movies that like he had done, but yeah, I know... Those are his uh, like writing, like r- major writing okay. credits, like screenplay yeah. by... Yeah, it's definitely worth noting the Pluto Nash connection here. Not to put all the weight of this movie's failure on um, on him, but uh, two of the biggest flops in uh, in comedy cinema history. Definitely, I think as well as uh, I think Pluto Nash was financially the biggest flop. I could be wrong. It's pretty big. I didn't look too much into it. Maybe we'll do an episode on Pluto Nash. That would be a doozy. Um, yeah. Um, but, uh, and according to a couple uh, loosely defined sources, there were some rewrites of the movie, like more specifically dialogue punch-ups only by Brent Forrester. Now, Brent Forrester has a much better track record than Neil Cuthbert. Mm-hmm. He wrote for The Ben Stiller Show. He was a staff writer on The Simpsons from 93 to 97. Some notable episodes he wrote were Lemon of Troy and uh, Homer Palooza. Okay. He rolled over to uh, King of the Hill with Greg Daniels. Mm-hmm. He has some writing credits for Mr. Show, which is uh, one of my personal favorite sketch shows. He wrote on Undeclared. He had an executive producer credit on The Office and wrote several episodes, including uh, a couple of my personal favorites like Business School. And he also wrote the film The Stupids, was an executive producer on the Netflix series Love starring Paul Rust and Gillian Jacobs. All of this to say, maybe he should have done more than punch up some dialogue in this movie. Yeah. 
I think once some of this stuff goes into post-production, I don't know how much sway you have as a punch-up writer, but yeah, I think yeah. It, it definitely could have helped this. Um, after we go through your background, uh, I want to go into our just general impressions, but uh, overall, I think the biggest thing this movie was lacking was just more jokes. Yeah, that was that was one of the notes I put. It's just like for as absurd and ridiculous and silly as so many of these concepts were, the humor itself was all just kind of generic. And it was just, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, it, there wasn't a whole lot of jokes. It it, it but, started uh, yeah, to get it, more it, kind it, of plot heavy towards the end, and it just seemed like they yeah. were really trying to hit these beats. Yeah. But um, back to the background, um, I wish I found out more on some of this, but apparently at one point, Danny DeVito was going to direct the movie and play the role of the shoveler, which eventually, you know, uh, of course, went to William H. Macy. And Ben Stiller also turned down role of director because, uh, or once he realized just how big the cast was going to be, he thought it was a little too big for his britches at that time in his career. And um, like I said a little while ago, some of the various sources claim there was a troubled production is a combination of an inexperienced director and a huge, sprawling, and highly talented ensemble cast who all wanted their own funny moments and didn't have a uniform idea of the tone of the film. In fact, one thing I read in multiple places uh, was that uh, in several interviews with Hank Azaria, he said that the actors were constantly arguing amongst themselves about the tone of the film specifically. And I thought that was something a more experienced director would have made sure to articulate to the talent. Like, this is the tone we're going for. If you guys want to come up with your own jokes, you know, do it in this specific direction. And so to have all the cast constantly debating amongst themselves how their, you know, jokes should read, that just seems like an uh, inexperience. Uh, at one, uh, in an interview uh, with David Letterman, Ben Stiller said that him and Greg Kinnear got into an argument that was so heated that Ben Stiller actually tried to get released from the movie. So I thought that was a little interesting. I wish I knew more about it. Yeah. Given that they're not really on screen together in that many moments. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's kind of, uh-huh. But um, as to director and actor trouble, according to the film's DVD commentary, which I sadly didn't have access to and instead just uh, found an article from Film School Rejects on the director didn't sound as if there were many actor problems from his point of view on set. There was lots of minor things like uh, Janine Garofalo really didn't want to take bowling lessons <laughs> and Kel Mitchell wasn't particularly comfortable being naked for a shot and Ben Stiller didn't want to put his feet in watermelons. But I wish to... you, we wouldn't have broke that because <laughs> literally that was the hardest I laughed in the whole movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was when they panned down to his watermelon shoes. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, according to the Film School Rejects interpretation of the commentary, uh, his uh, the director's biggest frustrations actually came more from the intense uh, special effects shot. Like, uh, near the end, um, the entire crew, or like all the all the superheroes are in this one big armored truck and they have to break through the main bad guy's uh, gate and into his mansion. 
And uh, so the the armored truck collides with the gate and then slams through the mansion. And the director sounded like he was really disappointed with the way that final sequence actually looked. And uh, it just seemed like one of those things that he was just a little disappointed about. And um, once again, that that kind of leads into the looming question of why he never directed another movie again. And so that was why I would kind of lean towards maybe it was just too big of, um, I mean, it was a $68 million movie. That's yeah. a huge dollar sign for a first time move, like first time director. Yeah. Yeah. And so many of the other people involved were really big names. All the main producers, had produced huge yeah. blockbusters before. Like these are the guys uh, who collectively made um, Predator, Terminator, Die Hard. Um, the editor made Mission Impossible. Actually, he has an amazing filmography. Oh, really? And yeah, and somehow they. Uh, I mean, I guess they saw a promise in, in this new director and and what he. I know he had won uh, directed award winning commercials uh, beforehand. So, yeah. I guess he he had a lot of confidence going in. They had a lot of confidence in him, and it just uh, it didn't pan out as well as uh, everyone would have hoped. Mm-hmm. Interesting tidbit: several of the sets from the film were reused from Batman Forever. Can I persuade you to take a sandwich with you, sir? I'll get drive-through. That makes so much sense. Okay. Yep. Because. <laughs> Obviously, there weren't that many Superman uh, movies at this time. Like, superhero movies, there had only really been Tim Burton Batman, Richard Donner Superman, and uh, the newer Schumacher Batman. So, like, the visual style of the whole movie was taken so much from the the more recent at the time Batman movies. I I could definitely see them just kind of snatching budgeted parts and kind of you know, making that work. Yeah. I feel like maybe based on what the, the, the look of the film was intending to do, it, it seems a lot like they were trying, which is weird because the, the Schumacher Batman films themselves have a very parody feel, but it almost feels like they were trying to recapture that look just to make it mm-hmm. well, feel that, like a, uh, a send up to yeah, those. It, it was supposed to be a spoof movie, for yeah. you know, for I don't know, it, it's spoof movie that takes itself a little bit more seriously than, than like a Abram Zuckerman spoof movie. Yeah, I it's do just, wonder. Uh, my kind of big question uh, is: Would if if this was made nowadays with a little bit tighter comedy beats, would it be a hit? Now that like superhero movies are so in vogue. The biggest blockbusters well, now, like every summer. I, I mean, it, it it is a thing in vogue. I just I feel like I feel like it's the humor that falls flat, and I feel like it's possible. But there are just things the film needed to do that it just didn't do successfully. Like from the get go, I felt like they really needed to define the world in a way that they didn't really do, so that. You can have like you can either you can have ridiculous characters as long as like the world around them acknowledges that they're being ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of those things that was just kind of 
a bit confusing. It's just like, so how ridiculous are these people? So there's, it's a, it's a city called champion city. They're big into superheroes. So like at what level is this concept of a guy walking around beating people with a shovel mm. ridiculous? Is it, just plain absurd are all these people looking at him like this is the stupidest guy on the planet or is it just slightly ridiculous like oh he says he wants to be a superhero uh, but it's silly that he chose a shovel Mm -hmm. and and it's just like there are certain world building aspects that really need to be defined and i thought it could have been really done really simply even just a, a simple sequence of like uh at the start of the film up until like about 45 minutes in it's just three in case you haven't seen it yet, it's just three characters. You've got uh, Ben Stiller's character, Mr. Furious. You've got William H. Macy's character, uh, the shoveler. And you've got uh, Hank Azaria's Blue Raja. And it's pretty much just the three of them. And if they would have had an opening sequence where they were talking about, okay, this is our big chance. We're going to go save the day here. And, you know, like maybe just define where they are. And pl- instead, that opens with this sequence that just really throws everything into this weird you're like you're walking into this weird sequence where it's like what is this place oh is it's an old it's an old folks home this is a really weird old folks home oh it's being robbed by these weirdo guys wow they're really weird oh they're being beat up by these superheroes i guess they're kind of bad you know this it brings up too many questions in the first five minutes yeah i don't know it really messed with my head (laughs) i guess i because they showed the um, Captain Amazing, Mister May, whatever is uh, I forget his name. Captain Amazing. Captain they, they, Amazing. They established him early enough on that I kind of got to feel. Oh, this is basically, um, you know, what if Metropolis, you know, has a Superman, but there's some kind of wannabes there too, trying to do yeah, their thing, true. but poorly. Not to defend that opening sequence at all it had so many quick cuts and the action was just framed poorly in so many low angles and high angles and dutch angles it was really kind of hard to tell exactly what was going on in the in that fight sequence (laughs) which didn't lend well i mean obviously they were supposed to be i got the feel these guys are bad at what they're doing you know they're not yeah superheroes but none of the like physical comedy really worked because of those those shots like yeah, the, the fork the in the ass and william h macy's reaction shot i think he's just used to more kind of subtle comedy and it just that didn't really land yeah, that timing was way off it just every yeah. every little bit of physical interaction didn't really work other than uh, kind of Stiller's performance, and I, I'll say this for the whole movie, I, he, I think he kind of carried a lot of the weight with what I assume was just kind of improv on his part every time he's in a fight moment. That or um, or it was a punch-up dialogue that you were speaking on behalf of. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I thought he did a pretty pretty good job of carrying it he put a lot of character into every one of his action moments and just in general that was kind of devoid in the other uh in pretty much everyone else in those fight sequences well if you if you didn't have any more background i kind of just we've we touched on our overall impressions of the movie and we touched on this was ultimately a flop 
Um, yeah, it, it made thirty-three million back from a sixty-eight million dollar budget. Yeah. So yeah, big flop, uh, big hit and a miss. Um, we've kind of walked around why we think that this was a flop. We talked about the director. We talked about the kind of lackluster script, but um, I, I also think it 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 came out in a time like 1999 was probably one of the biggest years for good movies ever. Like look up all of the major movies that came out that year. And it's just tons and tons of movies that you just like everybody saw in the theater. Yeah. And this one was just smack dab in the middle coming out in July. Yeah. I was leading up to and, like that. This, this movie kind of went head to head with another movie that wasn't in the same subgenre, but was also a dorky spoof movie that like aimed at the exact same audience with galaxy quest. Yeah. That hit all of its beats pretty perfectly. It's not, you galaxy know, quest is a fantastic exactly, movie. Exactly. And it, it really shows a lot of admiration for its genre but also kind of adds a comedic twist to it, which this was really trying to do, but um, it, it just it missed the mark so much in its filmmaking. Yeah. But uh, well, I want to get to moments that I did enjoy from it. There was a handful of shots that uh, I was kind of impressed with, and just overall, like, uh, how it puts you in this, it's it kind of like, like we said, uh, a Schumacher Gotham ripoff world but it really sets you in that world at least i thought so uh, i really liked all the scenes of them in the diner and the uh the kind of setup shop shots of uh the the camera outside of the diner really showing you the scale of this kind of gotham-esque uh city that's true yeah it was kind of like a cross between uh joel schumacher's gotham and uh ridley scott's blade runner mm-hmm I liked the symmetrical framing of the uh, the Casanova Frankenstein hearing when uh, when Captain Amazing came and kind of released him. That was a really shot, well shot scene. One of the few really well bit... shot scenes. <laughs> but uh, it, it had a cool look to it, and actually, like, kind of consistent styles. One of the few ones where they didn't jump into bizarre pov shots and they didn't really cut into uh, a lot of low angle stuff it, it was pretty simple but well framed and yeah. uh you uh you mentioned earlier a lot of the stuff the ideas were funny but they just weren't executed that well through the dialogue and i there are a lot of really great ideas i love that blue raja even though We'll talk about Blue Raja in a minute, but um, yeah, I like that he deserves being talked. I love his refusal of using knives, and how he like looks at it as if he's a step above using knives. Yeah, yeah, I'm not stab man. I actually thought a lot of their diner scenes where they were, you know, like some if if you get past the like the cinematography and you just listen to the dialogue, some of that dialogue's pretty funny. I'm gonna bring this up again. It's 150 bucks a piece. We each chip in. My cousin knows this guy who knows a publicist. What are we gonna publicize, Roy? 
The fact that we get our butts kicked a lot. Well, maybe if you didn't smack me in the face with a shovel every time we went out, All right, you'd have some now, more wins to brag about. I'm sorry about that. I just have a tendency to lose my concentration when I've got a salad fork stuck in my rear end. Oh, oh, I get it. So your shovel in his face is my fault. You threw mean? a spoon at the guy, Jeff. Now, what was up with that? I thought it was a fork. You're the master of cutlery. You can't throw a knife sometimes. No, I can't. Oh, you, oh, you can't uh, use a rake sometimes? No, I'm the shovel. Well, I'm the blue rajah. I'm not stab man. I'm not knifey boy. I'm the blue rajah. You know, that's when mm. they're just arguing amongst themselves. And, and I, I, I thought, it, yeah. It but can't... yeah, the specific, his refusal to use knives, even though he's the master of cutlery, mm -hmm. was pretty funny. Um... Kind of in a in a um, Kevin Smith esque way, they touched on some kind of nerdy uh, comic booky tropes that I don't think were joked about as much in film back in '99. Like I love the the kind of recurring joke about the Clark Kent glasses thing with Captain Amazing. Yeah, I thought I thought I thought William H Macy did a was pretty funny when when he gave his line about. Uh... You know, like he wears glasses. Yeah, he's Captain Amazing he's doesn't different. wear glasses. <laughs> if he had the, if he took his glasses off to be a superhero, he wouldn't be able to see. <laughs> I thought that was pretty humorous. He had a. I, I kind of wish now you said Danny DeVito might have played him. I think Danny DeVito might have hit some of those beats a little better. For it's this very tone. possible. I like the line, I shovel well. I shovel very well. When he's talking to his wife. Yes, I actually wrote that line down. Lucille, God gave me a gift. I shovel well. <laughs> I shovel very well. And then she responds, Honey, you shovel better than any man I've ever known. <laughs> there was a really cool scene, actually. Well, not scene. One shot that I really enjoyed. When... um. When, uh, what is it, Phoenix, Ben Stiller's character is on the stakeout, he's watching the villains, they come out on the balcony, and then uh, they blow up the asylum, uh, they have like an over-the-shoulder shot of the three villains that just pans right in and zooms then to the background of the city into the explosion and it, it just is really well overlaid and the effects look surprisingly well other than the bad set of the balcony the uh the explosion yeah, that's true it, that didn't it looked yeah, surprisingly look well a lot of the effects in this the cg stuff up close looks bad uh it got a little yeah. lawnmower man when they you know transformed uh, captain amazing but when it's not yes. close up and it's not in focus uh the cg works really well surprisingly i was very surprised at some of this uh computer effects how they held up just by kind of dimly lighting them i thought a lot of the uh ideas were pretty funny and but um i, I thought i thought i thought kel mitchell's character was just a hilarious idea yeah yeah this was kel the mitchell that... before keenan got on snl so this was like right after good burger kel was kind of yeah. like what people looked at as the big star of, of this like mm -hmm. nickelodeon duo yeah but uh, he had one of my favorite lines in the entire movie whenever they walk into uh, his house and he's about to go to his room with them. And he's... Yeah. We're looking for the one they call the invisible boy. All my life I've been ignored by people. Finally, after years of being overlooked, I found I had the power to disappear. 
I mean, it's real ironic how I'm happy to do that. You want to come in? Yes, sir. Thank you. Hey, Dad, I'm going to my room with three strange men. Says, hey, Dad, I'm going to my room with three strange men. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't stop laughing at that line. So we talked about, uh, once again, I really loved Ben Stiller in this. He, I don't think I've ever seen a movie with Ben Stiller where like, I walked away thinking like he did a bad job. I feel like he always makes his parts at least believable. If not, you know, maybe not always hilarious, but he always fits himself into the world in a good way. And yeah, make yeah, sure he, that he, he has comical moments. I liked his bouncing off of Janine Garofalo. They already have kind of yes. a history at this time, but they worked really well together. Uh, let I think we should jump into though uh, the kind what I might consider at least before I rewatched it one of the kind of the biggest downfalls of this movie I think from the outside looking in I think one of the reasons why people kind of walked away being like why why did they do that and that's Paul Rubens character yes I wrote uh, yeah oh my goodness the uh, and see like the I love. I love Paul Rubens in general, too, but his performance would have been perfectly accurate. I mean, adequate, not accurate, perfectly adequate. Had he not felt the need to lisp in the most obnoxious way possible. Yeah. I, and I think maybe the lisp would have been okay too, if they wouldn't have gone so far with the kind of gross out. Uh, yeah. Like the bad makeup teeth, on the him. fart. Yeah. The, the pimples, it was so over the top that I just kept groaning. I did like him out loud. explaining his background, though, of the yeah. gypsy who cursed him to yeah. be he who dealt it. I think that was a great line. He delivered oh, yeah. it in a very Pee-wee-esque way. And yeah. that, Big that, mistake! Yes, did the... I did, I did kind of laugh at that moment. But uh, yeah. I think comedies can kind of be defined by if they, A, have a fart joke, B, have no fart joke, or C, have recurring fart jokes. And That's I feel true. like it puts it into a very kind of specific lowbrow box of a movie that really cuts off a lot of audience when you have a recurring uh, plot, almost plot mechanical fart joke. Yeah. That's true. It, it gets a little... uh clumpy you know a little bit i think it can be done and like i don't know i've it's hard to it's hard to find it but it could be done in a clever way sure but this wasn't yeah i liked him getting Um, shot in the ass and the way he said that that made me laugh but overall a little bit too much fart a little bit too much gross out for a main character. Maybe if he would have been a side villain, like maybe Eddie Izzard's uh, like henchman. What was the deal? Like they brought in a comedian like Eddie Izzard and he had like no funny lines. He was trying so hard to do that American accent the whole time. That's possible. And I think it kind of killed a lot of his deliveries. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 also yeah that's possible. He could have also not improvised and just gone straight by the book or something. Hmm. I don't know, but yeah, uh, oh, you generally a, a funny person. Uh, yeah, there was a bunch of strange cast choices 
Also, like even I, stranger. What, what were you saying? I was going to go into all the cameos, but what were you going to say? Well, I was exactly what I was about to say. I mean, some of them you couldn't really consider cameos because this was before they were anybody. That's true. That's true. But still, like I wrote down, you know, like you've got a weird role. Uh, this is a larger role, not really a cameo from Tom Waits. Yeah, but it wasn't quite weird enough to be a yeah but it wasn't like quite weird enough to be a tom waits style role it was kind of weird wasn't a, wasn't a good classic way tom waits no oh, and then you've got like like you said eddie izzard you got a cameo by michael bay of all people yes i was gonna say that him and CeeLo green are in that well yeah that the whole sequence. uh his whole original rap group the goody mob mm-hmm. as the not so goody mob which I uh-huh. actually liked a lot. All the different cartoonish uh, gangs that uh, it was very Casanova Frankenstein pulled together, and I think it worked. Yeah, I, I liked the frat boys. I thought that idea was funny, it but was yeah, you are humorous. right. It's very Austin Powers, and this was not long after Austin Powers had come out. Nope. Um, then you've got like a strange role i guess cameo involving dane cook that i thought yeah was... yeah this was right before well maybe not right before but this was kind of before he uh he became like the number one comedian for a few years yeah it was for it was a few about a, about a half a decade maybe <laughs> yeah um and then you've you also got a s- small I don't know. This was before he had a whole bunch of roles, so I don't know if I'd consider it a cameo. But Doug Jones, Doug Jones, yeah, and that—that that is that. Just in case you're listening, that's D O U G Jones, not to be confused with Duck Jones. Some people I'm confuse those. I'm pretty sure his two. name is Duck Jones. Now, see, Duck Jones is the only duck that also happens to be a private investigator. Doug Jones is a. Uh, is mostly a motion capture or not motion capture? He does full suit. He, he was the the, like the body sexy suit. fish man. He's a bodysuit guy. He's been two sexy fish man, and I think he's got another one in him. That's very possible. Some people argue that those are the same fish man. They, they look, look very similar. surprisingly similar. Yeah, but um, I think there's going to be a third then, or fourth fish man coming your way. <laughs> and then um, Artie Lang. From the yes. opening sequence. Yep, yep, yep. Also, there was a moment I was very confused if this was supposed to be a bit or not. But how, or I guess it was kind of a recurring theme, uh, how every time Janine Garofalo brought up her dad, this bowler, everyone knew who this bowler was. Yeah. yeah they, in this they... world, in this superhero world, do people love bowling? Do they follow bowling? Well, like I had gotten the impression that she was that he was like basically the same thing that she does is like superhero with a bowling ball. Mm-hmm. That, that was what I had picked than, up. Then my dumb interpretation. That I he think was that's just funnier though. Like if he was on, just a really yeah. good bowler. He's just on like ESPN nine doing bowling. Yeah, like he was so good at bowling that he became a bowling ball after he died. Oh but, god, uh, I, I I just remembered one of the like ugliest CG moments. Uh 
the uh, the canned tornado when Tom oh, Waits that was is awful. proving yeah that he has these great devices. He throws it at the spleen. It looked like something from Son of Mask. I I don't want to talk about that movie, but it sadly, yeah, real bad. I but I do kind of want to steal the idea of the blame thrower and use it in a in a D and D game or something. I think I that, might grab that. That would be a great D and D concept. Um, but, um, apparently, like when it, going back to Artie Lang, he uh-huh. apparently constantly complains about like all the movies he's in and how they always turn out bad. He considers this one his worst. <laughs> he said his mom and sister called him from the theater and asked him if he had any more scenes because they wanted to leave. Yeah, I can't imagine going to see that just for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, as for side roles that got cut, I don't know about all of them, but I know Luis Guzman had a role as the owner of a Mexican restaurant that they cut from the film. Uh-huh. And that really just makes me wonder how many more movies has Luis Guzman been in that they got cut. Yeah. You know, they got a scenes cut. Is he in every movie? He's just been standing behind people in every movie. You never know he's there. (laughs) That or his, his statue from community uh, stands in his place whenever he can't make it. Yes. It's gotta be. So I think we should talk about, uh, blue Raja and the, the, questionable nature of that character yeah i i put him in my does it hold up category okay yeah i guess we we should ask that question well hold on i think just real quick i do want to i do want to say that the sequence with the junkyard owner sally uh is like the most terrifying version it was very homeless estelle costanza from seinfeld morning sally you're late Yes, I know. I was up all night trying to defend the city from evil, but I'm sure you don't really care about that. Work starts at 9! It's 9.25! Ooh, so I guess all the junk's probably ruined by now. Hey, sucker, what are you going to tear down that jeep like I told you to? (laughs) It felt a lot like 12 Angry Men to me, those extreme close-ups. Oh, yeah, the extreme close-ups made it even scarier. It was... We were inside of her face. Yeah... I just I I thought the voice and the performance it was just terror it 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 took me out of this movie and thought I was in a horror movie. It was yep. crazy. But yeah, no, let's I, let's move on to the section of does it hold up? Yeah. Um we we've talked a bit about kind of like filmmaking wise does this hold up, but um which it kind of hit or miss for me. Some of those effects still look good. A lot of them do not. Uh, but let, let's move into the more kind of social, ethical, does it hold up? And <laughs> we'll start by talking with uh, about Blue Raja, which is devoid of the, um, the typical, uh, I mean, this is the man who does Apu's voice on, uh, on The Simpsons, Hank Azaria, but, um, it is devoid of the, in the Indian you know caricature voice but it still is this bizarre rendition of a potentially indian person the british indian i actually wonder if because it's devoid of the voice instead it's 
uh, a character that is um, not only in support of, but in honor of British imperialism colonizing India. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that might arguably be, wor- be worse. Although, That's true. having said that he didn't do an Apu top voice, if you noticed in the junkyard, uh, Ben Stiller's character has uh, the radio on as he's junking the armored truck. Uh-huh. And the radio announcer is played by Hank Azaria doing an Apu type voice. <laughs> yeah. So he just had to throw that in there. Mm-hmm. Hank Azaria is kind of known for these characters too. And in, in, uh, in the birdcage, he, he plays a, a Latin, I forget, uh, but yeah, a Latinx character. It, it seems like, not that... I, Nothing specifically against Hank Azaria. I do think he has great comic timing, but it it is interesting to me that he gravitates towards these uh, these characters. Yeah, I mean that, but at the same time, that was just kind of like a lot of the easy humor of the nineties was get a goofy white guy and give him silly voices, and everybody thinks it's automatically hysterical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I do think they made a good call. I don't know if there was ever talks about him doing an Apu voice for this movie, but um, if there were, I, they made a good call in not doing that. Yeah, that's true. But the idea of his superhero character is still that he is a, a British Indian kind of thing. I don't... Yeah. Uh, he explains it to his mom in that scene, and he seems even kind of like, oh, it's a little weird, a little dumb, but, uh, you know, this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. It's um, confusing to me. Yeah. He was it was a little little off off putting. Um I also thought in terms of datedness, the writing of women was pretty rough. Yeah. Um, I, I mean like Jeanine Garofalo's character is is fine and, and she herself is great and does Every, uh, you know, like she's great in everything she does, and she's definitely the most fleshed out character or female character in the movie. But like every other woman in the care woman in the care in the movie is like has like virtually no characterization other than being a, a woman. I mean, like, and there's there's an audition sequence where all these superheroes are coming in, and everybody's stupid or weird in their own way. But all the women who audition are stupid or weird because of yes because of woman you've got pms girl yeah there, there then, was a back-to-back moment with their reaction to baller ballerina man yeah and then right after that the uh the wonder women yeah the wonder women their cat who just... fight and then all of the mystery team's reaction of just oh uh, interesting okay keep it going very cliche at least yeah. for the time oh yeah and then like um the diner lady. I had to look her name up because I couldn't find it in the actual movie. Monica, played by uh, Claire Ferlani. She has absolutely no character. And Ben Stiller's character never even asks like like anything about her. He doesn't ever care about anything about who she is. It's just, hey, that's a girl who looks all right. You want to hang out with yeah. me? And no, it's like yeah. it's stilted and, and old-fashioned in ways that don't really... And it was kind of confusing uh, at the start, just her reaction to him through such little dialogue 
she really seemed to have no interest at all in them yeah. and him in general. They never even really talked. He just yelled at her. Yeah. It, 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 it yeah. It, it's childish, and it was like a poor attempt at that trope that's already kind of hackneyed and old fashioned. Exactly. And, uh, and then like, uh, there's a few other things, but ultimately like, and then, uh, for a little less, definitely less egregious, but nonetheless dated, there's a, a scene where the shoveler gives this big speech about how he can't eat egg salad because it's loaded with cholesterol. <laughs> and yeah. um, that was, of course, during the whole eggs are bad for you scare in the late 90s that lasted Did through to around half of the 2000s. It's not true anymore, you guys. You can eat egg salad and you can make it with, and if you make it with mayonnaise from olive oil and put it on some multigrain bread, it can actually be a decent lunch with plenty it of omega fatty like, acids. Sounds like those egg wraps got to you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. That egg sandwich could have killed you by cholesterol. <laughs> Forget it, Homer. While it has been established that eggs contain cholesterol, it has not yet been proven conclusively that they actually raise the level of serum cholesterol in the human bloodstream. So one of those egg council creeps got to you too, huh? Oh, you got it all wrong, Homer. It's not like that. Oh, yeah, and the biggest, most dated aspect of the whole damn movie, fucking Smash Mouth, man. Hey, this movie is what started that, though. Yeah, it's in, they're is, in the music video. This is the first time we heard All-Star on the grand level. And they really used that song to kind of like push the marketing for this movie. It was yeah, a catchy, unique song. And then Shrek used it. And then the world burned. <laughs> And then the world burned. <laughs> but uh, I can't think. There was a few other little moments that made me laugh in uh, in Mystery Men. I want obviously this movie has getting gotten so much shit over the years, deservedly so in some aspects. But um, for the most part, I think it's plot. Like if you just strip that away, I could definitely see why this movie got so much money. Like its script works to an extent. Yeah. And uh and th there were a few good gags and the plot really works. Uh but once again, I think Ben Stiller kind of really sells so much of this. I loved my one, one of my favorite moments. I probably laughed like four times rewatching this. Not a good kind of laugh to uh to two hour long ratio, but I did really laugh when they're um assaulting the uh Casanova Frankenstein's uh limo and Ben Stiller is trying to get angry and he's just like awkwardly smashing the hood and trying to and then he very particularly picks the hood ornament and tries yeah. to like tear it off with his fingernails. Yeah, that was that was good. One of the few moments I laughed. I think I want to end on 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 that on this actual funny moment. So enjoy yourselves. It's a gag reel. Like we've said in previous episodes, we got a lot planned. A lot of crazy episodes coming up. Um, you bet. I want to do a top five pretty soon uh, of physical performers in the uh, in the two thousands. Ah, so I like that. We got weird episodes planned, and uh, and, and stay tuned. Enjoy yourselves. This has been gag reel. I'm Ryan. I'm Will. 
it's been a doozy. Hey there, listeners. It's uh, Ryan from the future. Once again, to close out the show, because making a podcast is a, a messy affair. Fun fact, everyone. Or at least to uh, our unorganized um, asses, uh, it is a messy affair. Uh, from the future, though, um, they should all be kind of on track. The, these episodes we recorded a, a, a good while back, and we're finally getting them out here to you guys to listen to and, and hopefully enjoy. Uh, we didn't mention it at the end of the episode because um, I had to cut around some stuff, but uh, go to gagrealpod at gmail.com if you have any questions or any suggestions for future movies. Um, or I think... We you can find us as the Gag Real Pod on Twitter. Uh, next episode, two weeks from now, is going to be um, a double feature of uh, the Kentucky Fried Movie and uh, Hollywood Shuffle. So give those a watch if you haven't before, um, or if you just want to listen along and and hear our thoughts on those movies, uh, feel free to. Um, after that, so about a month from now, four weeks from now, we will be doing, um, our biggest mistake yet. Uh, it will be the trial of Adam Sandler. Uh, we're going to go through, uh, all of Adam Sandler's nineties movies and kind of, uh, see how they hold up, uh, and just kind of see if we get a different perspective on, on him and, uh, and his career um so yeah look forward to that usually i kind of suggest everyone to uh to watch along with the movies uh, i want the podcast to be a kind of fun book club for everyone uh, we, we all just hang out talk about movies but um i highly suggest don't watch every 90s adam sandler movie just for your own sanity uh, I don't want everyone's brains out there to become mush. Uh, I, I, I believe in a better world than that. Uh, I just finished watching all of those. And I don't know how I feel about myself and the world anymore. So, uh, you'll have to listen in four weeks to find out our thoughts on 90s Adam Sandler and beyond uh but i hope you enjoyed this uh write us in and i'm going to let uh our grandiose outro music uh play me out uh, have a good one everybody it's over now